everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Carrie Parker, and we have a really fun uh, interview show for you today. It's actually part one of two. Uh, we ended up talking for quite a while, so I thought uh, I'd like to split these up so not quite, the episodes aren't quite so long. And we're talking with Adam Levin. He is an author, among many other things, but uh, what we talk about today is, has a lot to do with his new book called Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. Um, it's a really, a really interesting discussion. I asked him all sorts of questions and I had many more that I never got around to asking. So we'll definitely have to bring Adam back in the future and, uh, ask him some more of these other questions. And there's so many other topics he's knowledgeable about. I'm sure we'll have no trouble bringing him back, uh, for some other topic areas. But today we talked a lot about, um, uh, identity theft and, and I ran through some of the common scenarios, you know, how, how we get our identities hacked, you know, what are some of the physical mechanisms by which, you know, we get our credit cards stolen uh, and how we can defend against some of those things. We talk about various payment systems, including, of course, debit cards and credit cards, but some modern ones like Venmo and Apple Pay. Uh, we talk about how the bad guys get you to cough up your information, uh, which brings me actually to a couple terms I want to define before we get in there, because he kind of throws these terms around and we don't get a chance to define them. Uh, but we've talked in this show before about phishing. That's P-H-I-S-I-N-G. And phishing is a, uh, usually through email. Someone will send you an email and try to trick you into going to a website and entering in your credentials for what you think is your bank or PayPal or Amazon or Apple, uh, when in fact it's actually a fake website. And once you log in, they, they they take your credentials. And actually, if they're really smart, sometimes they still redirect you to the actual page you were trying to log into so that you don't notice any difference. But in the meantime, they've they've scammed your your information. Sometimes they'll try to get credit card numbers and other things. Basically, it's all it's email scams that try to get you to cough up information that would be valuable to them and trick you into giving out stuff to something uh, to a website you think you're trusting when in actuality it's a fake website. So we've talked about phishing, uh, but there's some other kind of related terms that we talk about here that I want to make sure I define real quick. Uh, one is spear phishing, and that is actually where somebody phishing is generally kind of a, um, a broad cast a big net kind of generic attack where you try to send this email to as many millions of people as you can in hopes that some of them will be fooled. Spear phishing, on the other hand, is where somebody is specifically targeting you. And they, they may not know you, but they may decide that if they, if they want to be more effective, if instead of sending out a million emails and hoping to get a few people to bite, um, if they know that you're uh, wealthy or they, they know that you have means, they you know maybe they've gone to your Facebook page and they've seen you've got a nice house and a nice car and you take nice vacations uh, and you tend to overshare <laughs> on Facebook, uh, that they might send you a targeted email. Um, they'll find your email address somewhere and they'll send it and they'll say, Hey, Carrie, you know, they'll use your name by, they'll, they'll call you by name and they'll make it sound very personal and, uh, and they will target you specifically. That would be spear phishing. And then there's two other terms that are kind of funny, vishing and smishing. So vishing is voice phishing. So all that really means is it's a phone call instead of an email. So somebody calls you on the phone, tries to tell you that they're, they're the IRS or they're your bank or they're Apple um, or whoever. They're trying to impersonate someone and trying to get you to cough up your information. Like they might call you and say, well, Carrie, we noticed a problem with your account. And before we go any further, we just want to verify that you really are Carrie. So please give me your username and password or something like that. They will never, ever, ever do that. So as soon as somebody tries to call you and get your credentials like that, you know it's a scam. Um, but we'll talk about that with Adam. Um, and then smishing is phishing with SMS, which is where the SM comes from, or text messaging. So someone will send you a message. It's all the same kind of thing. And in every one of these cases, they're trying to use social engineering techniques to trick you into um, uh, lowering your defenses and giving up information that you shouldn't. 
So normally, as you know, I would either do an interview show or I would do a news show. I usually don't mix the two. Uh, but I do have one news item I want to cover really quickly about the whole Amazon Echo thing. Uh, there's been a lot of stories in the news about the, uh, Amazon listening in on your conversations. So I wanted to address that just real quick, and we'll talk about it in more detail in the future. But um, stay tuned at the end of the after the interview, and I'll discuss that briefly. All right, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our really fun and uh, enlightening interview, uh, part one with Adam Levin. All right, Adam Levin is a consumer advocate with more than 40 years experience in security, privacy, personal finance, and many, many other things. Uh, he's a former director of the New, Year, New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs and the current chairman and founder of CyberScout. Uh, you may have seen Adam uh, on one of his many several TV, uh, TV appearances as well. Uh, and last but not least, he's just published a new book called Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. So welcome to the show, Adam. Gary, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so there's I've got several kind of uh, questions just generally about security and scamming in general, and then we're going to get into some of the topics of your book, which I really like. So, But for starters, one of the things that seems to have uh, gotten us into this mess is we've been relying on social security numbers as our identities for a long time. But it was never really meant for that purpose, right? It was never, it was never, it was never meant to be this pseudo-secret uh, ID that, that uniquely identifies us, and yet that's what it's become. Um, and obviously, there's all sorts of problems with that. And one of the things I know that people have talked about replacing these things with, they think about all these magical cures. And the silver bullet everybody loves is, is biometrics. Um, I'm curious, is your take on, on, on how biometrics work as is, is, is a viable replacement or some other way to prove identity? Well, a lot of people are suggesting that really blockchain is the ultimate mm. way to go in terms of being able to prove identity. That's where there are several... Uh, different sources for information that's combined and then that authenticates you as you. Uh, and we're going in that direction. The question is, how fast are we really going to get there? How much is it going to cost to really develop the technology to do it? There's a lot of people trying. It's certainly the next big thing. Yep. Tokenization is a big thing. And, and, and also, you know, setting up situations where biometrics, but it wouldn't be, you couldn't just use one biometric mm. like a fingerprint. It might be a retina scan combined with a fingerprint. I know that there are other uh, forms of biometric authentication being uh, reviewed. Also, uh, your heartbeat, the flow mm. of the blood through your body, the way you press the keys of your particular mobile device. Right. Uh, all of these different things are being studied. Uh, I know that another form of verification that some of the credit card companies were contemplating is that you do a transaction, then you take a selfie of yourself, but you also oh, really? blink. Yeah. You also blink to show proof of life. <laughs> the only problem is that CGI technology has become right. so brilliant that uh you know it, nobody knows whether there really is a totally foolproof method of authentication but we're we're moving in a direction where we will be able to ultimately um more uh carefully and accurately authenticate a human being it's just not quite here yet and well and the other thing that too i think gets kind of lost in the shuffle sometimes is, is it seems to me that there's at least a couple different aspects to identity and there's some cases where you want to be absolutely identified as, for instance, Adam Levin or Carrie Parker, and you want you want to be able to prove your specific identity. And then there's pseudonymity, where you want to be able to just kind of prove I'm the same person that was here last time, but you don't necessarily know who I am. And that's where I think biometrics scares me, is because you can't be anonymous, right? I mean, your biometrics, your DNA, your fingerprints, your iris scans, your 
the vein patterns in your eyes and your hands, those are you. I mean, if those ever, like for instance, the office of personal, um, what was it, the office of personal management? OPM. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Had all their fingerprints stolen. I mean, what are those people going to do now? Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't come up with new fingerprints. Right. Uh, there were, there are many in history. There have been a few attempts to try that. None of them worked. <laughs> so, uh, no, it is it is a problem that that you you wish to be at least identified for the purpose of some form of you know consistency, but at the same point, yes, it is it is somewhat concerning if if someone can identify you. Although if you go way back a few years ago, they were able to just based on a few searches uh, on AOL, they were able to actually determine the identity of a person, which scared everyone half oh, to wow. death. So there have been instances. Uh, where people, and I even talk about it in the book Swipe, where they've been able to re-identify that which has been de-identified. <laughs> right. Yeah, with all the data collection, that's one of the things the data brokers and such are trying to say is, oh, yeah, but we anonymize everything or we de-identify everything. But uh, there, are, there are many problems with that and many of these data. I have, a, I have a bridge to sell you as well for something <laughs> like that. And, and yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the reality is, look, billions of files – containing information on billions of people have been stolen. Yeah. Uh, 300 million, most likely, social security numbers are now out there as a result of breaches over the past few years. And with, with all of that information floating around, uh, we're going to get got. We have been exposed. And the question is, how does one operate within a world of that kind of data exposure? Right, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about a few of these instances. Uh, what are what are some like the most common types of identity theft today? And you brought up a couple of the book that I hadn't really considered, um, and which and as you go through them, kind of which are the most impactful for the victim? Well, if you want to go up the food chain on identity theft issues, the first is someone has gained access to an account that you have. Now, if it's just a credit card account, you can change a number usually by a phone call. And then you just have to keep your eye on it just to make sure that all of a sudden it doesn't get compromised again because that could be an indication that it's something more mm. than just someone getting access to your credit card or debit card number. Then you come to account takeover of a bank account, mm. and that could be problematic because we're not talking about just changing your ATM number. Uh, it could be that you might have to shut the account down because someone may have enough information to actually invade your bank account and start siphoning money mm. out of the account mm -hmm. or convincing someone at the bank to give them more information. So that's the next step up. Then you have new account creation. That's when someone using your information has, the, has enough information to be able to authenticate themselves sufficiently that they will be allowed to open new accounts in your name using your identity information, uh, which could be extremely expensive if yeah. you didn't if you don't catch it early, although there are zero liability policies in place for pretty much every credit card and most debit cards, uh, then you get into a little bit more sophisticated and dangerous forms of identity theft, like medical identity theft, where someone using your information is actually getting medical treatment or gaining access wow. to uh, medical insurance. Uh, that's your medical insurance. There's tax-related identity theft is where they're using your information to file false returns right. for the purpose of um, diverting tax refunds. Then as another step is they're using your information to get jobs in your oh, wow. name with your identity where the even worse part for you is that the income that's reported <laughs> – 
it's reported to your social right. security number. Sure. So you get the magic letter from the IRS saying you woefully underreported your income because oh, no. you didn't know that someone has been working as if they're you in addition to you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's child-related identity theft, which is just horrible because most kids don't check their credit. Most parents don't check their children's credit. And something like that could go on for years undetected until a child is old enough to get a credit card account or uh, or a, a, their first apartment where their credit is checked or their first car. And sometimes a parent finds out because they get a call from a debt collector, which they first think is a mistake. Sure. But, but then it's not a mistake. And oh then my. it gets pretty scary. And then there's synthetic identity theft. That's where someone takes your social security number, my name and address, and somebody else's birth date creates the bionic human being. <laughs> This is much more difficult to track because the first trail of breadcrumbs leads back to the social security number. Then the next one leads back to the name and address, which could be problematic for background searches. And then finally, birth date, which is a lot of people have the same birth date. And then criminal. That's where someone commits crimes in your name. If you remember the movie Identity Thief, mm. uh, they commit crimes in your name. The trail of breadcrumbs leads back to you. Uh, we worked on a case at Cyber Scout a while back with a woman who was a victim of every possible form of identity theft that could be committed against a human being, including the woman who stole her identity being arrested and serving time in jail using the identity of the victim. Oh, wow. Now, was that a target? Just out of curiosity, was that a targeted attack somehow or did this person just get the unlucky lottery? No, it was a targeted attack. Okay. So, someone was just aware of her in the community, and it wasn't that she was a particularly famous person. She was just a nice lady. <laughs> but they just glommed onto her. They managed to get information, and they were off to the races. Wow. Um, so obviously a lot of this data, as you just mentioned, has been leaked. Um, but it, it, how, do, how do people get their identity stolen, practically speaking? I mean, how, do, how does my identity get stolen? What are the most likely ways that, that I've been... Um, uh, compromised. I think the the biggest way that we're compromised is that we happen to be on the wrong database at the wrong moment when the wrong person gains unauthorized access. And you're talking about with many of the breaches we know about, whether it's Equifax, Anthem, Premira, Excellus, the U.S. Office of Personal Management, where they got it all. They got the full Monty on, on, on those. Uh, they even got stuff people didn't even know they had uh, <laughs> right. in some of these cases, uh, you know, and people go, I can't believe it. I entrusted my information. Well, first of all, let's start with the premise. We are a surveillance economy. Yeah. And oftentimes you have no clue that your information is being collected, right. gathered, disseminated, shared, whatever. So that's the easiest way to get it. Then let's think about categories. First of all, you have four kinds of hackers. You have state sponsored hackers. You have for-profit hackers, you have cause-related hackers, and then you have, as the president likes to refer to, the proverbial 400-pound <laughs> guy on a basement, uh, on a mattress right, in his right. mother's basement in New Jersey. So that's what you're up against. And imagine, like in election security, you're a rural county in West Virginia, and you suddenly realize you're facing off against Russia. Or as a consumer, you happen to be caught up like the people in OPM with what may well have been a Chinese attack for intelligence gathering purposes that then also just happened, that information happened to get out there on the dark web. Uh, th then you have what, what are ways that you can in fact be trapped? One mm. is 
Fishing, dear account holder, dear member, dear card holder. Spear phishing, dear carry. <laughs> Vishing, you get a phone call, you think it's from your bank or the jury commissioner or the Internal Revenue Service or, 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 or. Mm. And, and you give them information about yourself because you think you're dealing with someone in authority. You've authenticated yourself to an independent party that you thought was the real deal, which it doesn't matter who they are, you should never do it. Uh, you click on the wrong link. You open the wrong attachment. Uh, your child gets a hold of your mobile device and goes browsing around the internet, clicks on the wrong link. Malware gets onto your device. It's a keystroke logging device, so that means every time you try to log in somewhere, it's transmitting your login information uh, to a hacker. Uh, it also could be that you haven't shredded things properly. It also could be that you didn't properly freeze your credit so people managed gathering information and go after you. It could be that you have shared way too much information, which is more the norm, yeah. uh, on social media. Uh, and it could also be that the security answers that you give to security questions are real-life facts about you as opposed to you lying like a superhero <laughs> and making sure that nobody has a clue what you're talking about because you lie but you just can't be so creative that you forget the lies and right, then right. you've blocked yourself out. Well, that's so a great the, one. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, these are different ways that you get breached or, you know, think about it. You have so many people that go, nobody cares about me. I'm just a regular person. Uh, right. Why would anyone care about me? What they don't understand is to a hacker, we're all Kim Kardashian. We got what they want. Yeah. We have data. We have money. We have credit card information. Uh, or we are the tributary to a larger river. So sometimes you get hacked or breached, not because of you, but because of who you know, who you're married to, who you're related to, where you work, yeah. what groups you are a member of. If someone's looking for a way in, they want to find the easiest point of access, and it could be an unwitting, innocent third party. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something I've certainly told a lot of uh, you know, friends and the, and the students that I teach in this class at Duke that um, it, what, one of the most insidious ones is so, you know, somebody gets a hold of your, your, your mail account. And they're like, oh, I don't care if they read my mail, but that has also got your contact list. And now right. that they can email everybody that you know as you and get them to do something that they might have otherwise been triggered. Oh, I'm not going to that, – that's obviously a scam, but if it's coming, oh, hey, Carrie sent me this thing and says I better click this link. I'm going to do it. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's much more – convincing when coming from somebody you know well i mean just you know one of the craziest ones i heard which is not atypical uh someone was a cat lover someone found out that they were in fact a cat lover because they were on social media looking at different people so they sent her a picture of a cat which she thought was very cute she clicked on it it had malware mm. that malware was used to crawl through her system into the home network where her husband, who was the CFO of a oh multinational my. oil company, <laughs> and they used that to literally get into the financial records of this international wow. oil company. So, I mean, this, this is, again, so often, as much as people think, you know, I'm a cool person. You may be, but the, you may not well be what they're after, but you could be the conduit into what they're after. Right. 
Okay, so some other questions that I often get and uh, is, is it, you know, and even in today's age, I get people asking me, is it safe to bank and shop on the web? Is that is that actually safer? Because so many people are worried about giving in their credit card numbers that they're afraid that that's the weak point. Well, if you are smart about the way you shop online or the way you bank, that's one thing. If you just type things in and hope you got the right name, uh, not so smart. So, you know, there are bank apps, although recently they found some flaws in bank apps. Uh, usually, if you want to use an app, for example, to do online shopping, online banking, don't go to some third-party site and look at something that looks like it's the right app. Mm. Go to that institution directly and either download that app or go to the real app store and download the app um, and then act accordingly. But that also means don't save your user ID or password to that app on your phone because if your phone gets stolen and you haven't properly secured your phone and your app is basically always on with user ID and password saved, they're going to get into your account. So it's sometimes it requires a little extra effort. And I know that people love convenience right, and hate yeah. when their convenience is interrupted. But convenience, when conflicting with security, opt for security. So let's talk about payment methods, because I know that I often uh, recommend to uh, my readers and my listeners to use credit cards over debit cards, uh, yes. for instance, whenever they're shopping. But there's there's so many more options, too. So let's talk about that. But let's also talk about virtual credit cards. That, that's kind of a new thing. And then there's things like Venmo and Apple Pay. So how do you, how do you kind of rank those and how do you differentiate those and which, which of those are better than others for uh, uh, online digital transactions? Well, I think when you talk about Venmo, which and Zelle, for instance, they're, mm. they're very cool, but you have to use them for what they're really designed to do. Don't use them to shop. Use them to transfer money with people that you know. Mm. Um, if you basically do a Venmo and you're buying a good or service and you don't get it, there isn't much you're going to be able to do about it. The money's gone. Mm. Uh, but if you're dealing with somebody you know, that's not a bad idea to use Venmo, but do you really have to use the social media aspects of Venmo? Like, oh, I'd right. like to tell people everything I bought. <laughs> uh, there was one website that imploded years ago because uh, the, the banks loved it because they were getting more user information about what people were buying. Consumers thought it was a pretty cool thing to tell all their buddies what they had just bought. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't properly secured, and the great quote from the CEO at the time was, maybe you should have had an information security officer. Oh, well, <laughs> they're gone. But, yeah. you know, so Venmo is encrypted, but it still doesn't mean that you should be sharing everything with everybody or using it where it really can't give you the kind of protection that a credit card can, for instance, where you have zero liability and the credit card vendor is in a position to sustain whatever the loss may be because it has the insurance to do it and it's part of its its loss analysis. Right. Yeah, and that's one of the points I always bring up too is that is it's really just a loan. It, unlike a debit card where if they take your money, you've actually got to claw it back somehow. You've got a that money is gone. It's it's out of your account. You have to convince your bank that it wasn't you and through negligence you didn't allow someone else to take it. You know, it's a lot, you know, which is why I usually tell people to steer clear of debit cards for this kind of thing. But with credit cards, it's just, it's a loan. You're, you're not out the money yet. And what I also found uh, personally is that because they're on the hook for this, 
they're really good about finding fraudulent charges, and they usually find it before I do. No, they they really do. But, you know, a further point on that is that's why consumers should sign up for what's called transactional alerts. Mm-hmm. And that those are alerts that notify you anytime there's activity in your account, your bank account, debit card, or your credit card account. And the reason is that billion, well, not billions, but let's say tens of millions of credit cards and debit cards are sold on the dark web by zip code. And the purpose is to evade bank tracking systems because banks are always looking for, or credit Mm. cards, is it out of pattern charging? So out of pattern could be, are they spending way more than you normally spend? Or are they charging in, let's say, Berlin when... (laughs) As far as they can tell, you've never been to Berlin. Right. Uh, so, uh, but if it's in your zip code where you normally shop or work or live, they may miss it. Whereas you get the alert and you go, it may be where I live, but I wasn't there yesterday. This is a problem. Right. So what about, and, and security is different than privacy. And a lot of these things can be secure, but they're hor- horribly not private, uh, you know, as far as you know, metadata on what you're spending on and who's, who they're sharing that data with. So how do, how do these different payment methods compare in terms of privacy? And in particular, I'd like to call it Apple Pay because from everything I've read, and I am a bit of an Apple fanboy, I will admit, full disclosure, um, but it seems like Apple's trying to make those kind of transactions much more private. No, they, you know, I'm an Apple fan as well. I, I'm with you on that. I even, you know, full disclosure, or, or have shares in Apple because I believe in the company. They are right now perhaps the most focused embodiment of a concept that was developed by Anne Kavukian, not mm, Kavukian, yeah. privacy by Kavukian, design, right? Privacy by design, and this is you know they are the poster child for that. And you know they they went to war with the with the FBI over the whole issue of backdoors. Yeah, uh, they got you know in the end there was an Israeli company that found a way in because. In the world we live in, there's almost nothing that is hack-proof completely. But they have been trying for years to be more privacy-centric. So anytime you have an opportunity to use something that's more privacy-centric, you should. Even if one is a financial exhibitionist where they feel the <laughs> need to share whatever they do with everyone. Right. That's, that's a great term. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about a couple other really uh, interesting things that I've uh, run across that I'd like to get your opinion on. One of them is card skimming. Um, and this seems to be gotten, I don't know if it's gotten more popular or if it's just gotten more attention lately, but uh, certainly it seems like the from a technological standpoint, these guys have really kicked it up a notch. So um, first of all, if you would, kind of explain for the audience, what is, what is card skimming? What does it mean? And then is there how do you spot such a thing, if possible? Well, card skimming is essentially where someone makes the equivalent of a digital imprint of your card. They find a way to either transmit the data on your card because they insert a skimmer into a machine where your card would be inserted. Um, or And depending upon what kind of card it is, they may also have a pin camera hidden somewhere Mm -hmm. so that if you use an ATM or a gas station and you're entering something in, you'll notice more and more gas stations are actually suggesting to people use credit cards as opposed to debit cards Mm -hmm. uh, when you use the skimming devices. And gas stations have been hard hit by skimming, oftentimes because the pumps aren't within sight of the attendant at Mm -hmm. the gas station. 
So, and it's kind of like, where can I do something in the middle of the night to slip something in that no one's going to see? And either they will collect data and then the skimmer has to be removed for the hacker to access the data or they can actually transmit the data. And uh, they're not easy, especially if it's in a gas pump. It's not so easy to figure out unless you notice that the seals around the, <laughs> that port, if they've been broken. And I used to, when I was head of consumer affairs in New Jersey, the Bureau of States and uh, Weights and Measures was under me. So I became pretty familiar mm. with uh, units of uh, weight uh, or uh, calculation uh, at gas stations. But anyway, um, so that may be a positive. If you're going to an ATM where you notice the front seems to be a little shaky, mm. it could be that someone has found a way to get in. It is suggested often that you use, if you're going to use an ATM machine, you use it in a bank or attached to a bank because they have cameras, they have mirrors, so you might be able to see if someone's standing behind you, you mm. know, situations like that. So try to, when you, you know, and I, I, I hate to sort of dish on ATM machines that you may find in convenience stores. But they are not. That environment is not half as secure as it would be ah, as okay. if you're using an ATM machine in a bank. Interesting. And in both cases, so that to really use the card, so that if they if they've got a little a little shim that kind of goes where you'd swipe your card, and they've got so they've got a way to to read the data of your card, they still do need the pin, right? So there's there's some second aspect of having a camera or heat sensor or something where they where they need to, to be able to associate the pin with that number as well. Correct. That is that is correct. They are finding ways to eventually get around that, but you know, ways that they can just collect the data that's actually used when you enter the pin in the in the machine. I don't think they've gotten very advanced on that yet. Yeah. So, like one of the things I've heard some people say is, even though some of the ATMs now come with like this little kind of plastic cowling that goes around the pin pad, to still like, I mean, if they put a camera in there, I guess you got to, you know, so cover it with your hand when you're typing in the number. I mean, you know, crazy stuff like that. Some I've heard some people say pull on it. Like, does you know, does the skimming thing come loose or or, or whatever? And all sorts of weird things to to try to to look for skimmers. Is that even viable? Well, I, you know, I don't know how much it's going to pull out, but I mean, you know, how many cartoons have we seen where <laughs> someone puts their hand in a hole and comes out with a crab attached to it? <laughs> but, you know, the important thing is, yeah, I always cover my hand, but I'm paranoid by profession. Right. Um, although I think it's always important to remember scaring is caring. <laughs> okay. So you also mentioned a little bit earlier talking about email scams and phishing attempts. Um how does one? What are some telltale signs for 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 spotting email scams and uh, and phishing attempts? I, I, you know, obviously a lot of you know when the grammar is really bad, that's usually a big tip off. But what are some of the things people can look at, you know, to determine whether or not something uh, an email is valid or not? Well, first of all, grammar, spelling, uh, some kind of sign off to an email. Like for instance, there was a story about someone had received one of these business email compromise uh, situations. And they looked at the, the sign-off from the supposed CEO of the company, and they said, there's something wrong with this. <laughs> Their friend said, why? He said, because the CEO never says at the end of his email, have a nice day. <laughs> so, you know, look for telltale signs where something doesn't look right. The other thing is, you know, run your cursor over the URL, because mm -hmm. if supposedly the email comes from the IRS, which it won't ever uh, – <laughs> It won't say IRS.gov or it won't say the name of the company. It will say some crazy thing 
uh, as opposed to that or the email address coming from your friend who you've known forever, it doesn't say at Gmail or Hotmail or Yahoo. It says some other crazy thing and you go, wait a minute. Mm. That's not the way my friend operates. The other thing, if you want to be really safe, is ask, contact the person who sent it to you and say, did you just send me an email? Mm -hmm. Especially with an attachment. Uh, rule of thumb always, never authenticate yourself to anyone who contacts you either by phishing, spear phishing, vishing, or smishing. Uh, the, the way to do it is only authenticate yourself when you're in control of the communication and keep in mind, no responsible organization will ever ask you to supply credit or debit card information, social security information, or other forms of sensitive personal information by way of text or email. Right. Right. Yeah, another way I've heard that phrased is never click on a, a link in an email or open attachment from an email from something you did not explicitly just request. Excellent rule of thumb. Yeah. What about phone scams? Because robocalls are getting so bad, and I've gotten calls, many calls, you know, saying this is, you know, you're about to be prosecuted for something or IRS fraud or, you know, there's, there's so many of them. And, you know, for me, I look at those things and go, okay, I, I know those aren't it. But I know a lot of people hear these things and get really worried. So you were talking about that, you know, they will never, they will never email you. Uh, what are some other rules of thumb when you're, when you're, when you get these scary emails or scary, particular phone calls? How to, how to judge whether or not it's it's for real. The the first important thing is when you, if you get a robocall, um, generally, unless you know the number, don't pick up. Right. Even if you think you know the number, the world wouldn't end if you waited for it to leave a message and <laughs> right. then listen to the message. Yep. Also, whenever you pick up a call, never say the word yes. Mm. Uh, because... Scammers oftentimes will say, can you hear me? Oh, my. Or, or is this Carrie Parker? And you go, yes. And what they do is they tape the yes. Oh, my. Then you start getting uh, goods, products, whatever. And you go, I never ordered this. And they go, really? Do you want to hear the tape? You said oh, yes. Wow. So don't say yes. If they say, can you hear me? Say, I can hear you. But normally if someone says, can you hear me? unless it's a Verizon commercial, hang up. <laughs> uh, if someone threatens you, hang up. Uh, also, you have to be careful that some of these calls are uh, lottery scams or scams that are designed that the minute you pick up the phone, it's like a sex line. You're being charged $17.99 for the first minute and then a certain amount of money every minute thereafter. Really? Someone could call you and you could be charged? Yeah, they call you. Well, you always, with cell phones, you can be charged. But what happens is the minute there's a connection, you get a charge. Huh. So you got to be really careful about that kind of stuff. That's why let the call end. And especially because sometimes, let's say it's a robocall and they say, if you whatever, press one. You press one and you've just confirmed it's you at a real number. Hmm. Yeah. So you, you, you want to be careful about that. And it's estimated that just countless billions of robo even with the FTC going after and now successfully nailing a few of these robocall uh, monarchies mm. uh, the truth of the matter is you still it's best not to answer the call and where they're getting really clever now is sometimes you'll see a call that looks like it's actually coming from you yes uh, you pick it up just 
it's like muscle memory. It's like, oh, yeah. And then you go, well, wait a minute. This is my number. Right. Um, or it's so familiar. You think it's a local call. It isn't. It's a scam call. So just rule of thumb, unless a real name comes up from somebody who is in your contact list, who you really call, who generally always calls you, don't pick it up. Yeah, that, I've you know I've certainly gotten to the point now where if it's not in my contact list, which means it doesn't come up with a a name I recognize, I just don't answer. I, I've already gotten to that point because it's gotten so bad. I mean, the robocalls have just gotten ridiculous. Well, if it's if it's a real person that you know, no one's going to get upset with you saying, "Oh, so sorry. I just I saw that you called. Right. Here I am." Right. So, how likely is it, um, you know, for a given person to be uh, the target of identity theft versus like just general opportunistic attacks? And there was one in particular I've got to bring up because the story just kills me, and that's uh, Todd Davis, who you probably know, CEO of LifeLock. So, LifeLock comes along and they're like, "We're going to protect your identity." And CEO of LifeLock goes on this commercial and broadcasts his social security number for everyone to see on these commercials. And of course, I, I, apparently what I've heard is in the next two years, his identity was stolen 13 times. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but... I've, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> that's correct. But then again, you know, from Todd's perspective, A, it was a marketing exercise and it was brilliant, the exercise. You know, someone once said to me, how do you feel about it? I said, well, judgment, not so sure. Marketing, brilliant. <laughs> right. Um, but he had... A billion dollar company standing behind him. Mm. So it didn't matter to him. It was like, they'll handle it. I'm not worried. The reality for the, all the rest of humanity is <laughs> we don't have a billion dollar company standing behind us. And there's a whole world of hurt when you become, you know, for him, it was a cost of doing business. But for real people, you have to understand a few things you have to understand. Number one, it is inevitable. Just Everybody's got to get through their heads. It is inevitable that each and every one of us will be a victim at least once, if not multiple times, of at least one, if not multiple forms of identity theft. Wow. That's just the world we live in. So the secret is the three M's that I call it. Yes, let's swipe. get into those. How do you minimize your risk of exposure, reduce your attackable surface? How do you monitor effectively so you know you have an issue? And what's your plan? Yeah. To manage the damage in the event that you've been exposed and your information's out there and someone's starting to use it. And you got to think of it in the context. Surveillance economy, billions, that's doctor, evil, pinky to the lips, <laughs> B, billions of internet devices collecting information, tracking you, sending that information back somewhere. Points of vulnerability have become soldiers in robot armies that have been used in denial of service attacks against websites bringing down some of the biggest in the world. So we are living in dangerous times. And we as consumers have to understand that because business hasn't done enough, government hasn't done enough. Mm. And frankly, we haven't done enough. Yeah. We are now in a world where we have a shared responsibility. Didn't want it, aren't really prepared for it. Didn't ask for it, but we have it. It's like, here's the hair shirt. Here's the ceremonial shaft. It's yours. <laughs> you're in. And, and as a result, how do you operate knowing this is true? And as a consumer, you could do everything right. Yeah. You could secure devices, strong password protocol, two-factor authentication, freezing credit, getting transactional alerts, um, not clicking on links, doing all that stuff. 
But if you're on the wrong database at the wrong moment and the wrong person gains unauthorized access to that database and what's worse, your social security number is on that database, you're going to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Right. I mean, none of us were none of us are direct con- customers of Equifax. When if we didn't think Equifax was taking care of us, we it's not like we can leave. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Not only that, when people say I entrusted them with my information, <laughs> the answer is, uh, no, you didn't. You didn't even know they had your information. Right. Right, and with that little teaser, you'll have to wait till next week to get the three M's. Uh, of course, you can always buy his book in the meantime, and that's again, it's under Adam Levin, L E V I N. Not to be concerned, uh, not to be confused with Adam Levine, totally different person, <laughs> very different search results. Uh, anyway, his book is called Swiped: How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. Uh, so, if you just can't wait till next week, of course, you can always buy his book. Okay, and I promised at the beginning of the show I would talk real briefly about this whole Amazon Echo thing, and um, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I just kind of, I hopefully want to assuage your fears a little bit. Uh, the news story, the headlines basically were saying, oh, hey, Amazon's listening to everything you say to your, um, your Amazon devices, your Echo devices. Um, and I don't want to say the A word because that will wake up all your, <laughs> that will wake up all your devices, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, so you've got this Amazon smart speaker, uh, in your house and you say the wake word, it starts with A, and you ask it a question or whatever, and then it gives you a response. Uh, and the way the headlines would read, of course, because they want you to click on the article and therefore see their advertising, et cetera, et cetera, um, is that Amazon's listening to everything you say or listening to a lot of what you say. Um, I don't really think that's true. So here's what I really think is going on. And again, I'll dive into this uh, in the future. But uh, uh, the way it works, these things don't record everything you say. These things are not sending everything you say up to Amazon. They're waiting for that one, that one magic wake word. And when the device, the device itself is smart enough to understand that one word being said. And once you say that word, then it records the next few seconds or whatever, of whatever it is you're saying until you probably stop talking. So, you know, you say the wake word, you ask it a question, you stop. That's its cue to take that very short snippet of a recording. It ships it off to Amazon to, to automated servers who digest that snippet, figure out what it is you asked come up with an answer, and then send that back to your device. Um, so it's not recording all the time. Uh, and we have had multiple security and privacy folks who are watching these devices like Hawks, uh, and they know that that's how they operate, at least currently. Um, so these are all trained artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms, uh, which we talked about not too long ago on the show. And what that means, to, to train these things, they have to take sample phrases, they run them through their their algorithms and their special computer stuff to try to interpret what you say. And then they're either right or wrong. And you've probably noticed in the past, if you have one of these devices, that it doesn't always understand what you say. Uh, sometimes you have to repeat yourself or say things in a slightly different way. So as part of a quality control thing, every once in a while, they will have to take a human to listen to these snippets and then see what the systems spit out and see how closely they match. Um, so it's helping to train the system to better understand humans. And uh, from my understanding, from what I've read, that's all that is going on here. So yes, they do have some people that they have hired to pick a small sampling of all these snippets that are going up to the cloud and try to help make their system better. Now, could they do that another way? Yeah, probably. Um, of course, they're looking for real world scenarios with people who have strange accents or who speak in a funny way or 
whatever. So that so it really helps them to have real people from all over the planet providing these snippets to help them better train their systems. Now, how private is this? I, I've seen differing reports. I've seen some things that say that they've got maybe your device serial number and maybe your first name, which I don't even know why they would have your first name. All they really honestly need is the audio snippet and to run it through the system and see what comes out and see how well the, the system did. And if it didn't do well, to help train it to do better. So I'm hoping that they're, they're preserving your privacy. Um, but if you really want, there are settings. If you go into your, Am uh, your Amazon app, and I, again, it's the Amazon A-Word app. I don't, <laughs> don't want to say it because I don't want to wake up all your devices. Um, but if you go to the app on your phone where you can control this service for all your devices, uh, dig into the settings, and I'll try to have the exact settings um, when we revisit this topic later. But you can turn off you know, some options for using my specific voice things for training. I don't know if that's perfect. I don't know if it's 100%, but you can certainly do that. And it should reduce the uh, the opportunity for this. You'd think that if you set this, it would cut it off for good. But I read somewhere that that's not 100% either. So, yes, there are privacy issues here. Um, but it's not nearly as bad as some of these headlines were making it out to be. At least that's my current understanding for what I've read so far. So, uh, anyway, I just wanted to touch on that because it was kind of a hot topic. And I didn't want to let it go two more weeks before we talked about it. Okay, and that's it. Uh, that'll wrap up the show. Tune in next week for part two with uh, the three M's with Adam Levin. We'll talk about some solutions and how you can kind of deal with identity theft when it does happen. Uh, and until then, of course, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.